Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer this morning. We ask that you would direct each part of this service. We ask you to work in each heart. Lord, we ask that your word would be more than just print and paper, that it would be a roadmap to live day by day for you. We ask that our lives would not worship you only today, but each day of the coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain. Take your Bibles if you would. And we'll be starting in Matthew chapter 6. We'll be moving through the scriptures some today. And uh, last week we talked about the strangest battle plan. Believe in God. Believe in your God. So shall you be established. Believe in his prophets. So shall ye prosper, were the words of King Jehoshaphat. And God gave them victory as they followed God's plan, which was not the fight at all. And so oftentimes we get ourselves in great distress and great trouble because we expend our energy and our efforts fighting the wrong battles. And... uh, Yet, the key to last week, and we don't have time to go through last week's sermon again, is get your praise to God in order, your worship of God in order, and He'll take care of a lot of other things. Uh, You cannot be thankful when you have sinned against God and put yourself in a very destructive situation. That's why the Bible tells us that one of the great guardians, one of the great pillars of our life ought to be that we ought to be able to give God thanks in every situation, knowing that we got where we are obeying the Word of God. Then you can be thankful, no matter what happens. Whether it is tragic or whether it is wonderful, whether it just seems to rip our souls apart or whether it seems to take us to the very door of heaven. If we got where we are following the word of God, we can know that God put us there for a reason. Amen? And oftentimes in life, as as we try to narrow ourselves down to the the... Uh, point of this morning's message, most of us would like to think that sometime, at least one time in our life, God would use us to accomplish something of note, something worthy. If you have read any history at all, history always seems to center on great personalities, and great events. Is that not true? Hello? Are we awake this morning? I mean, they don't write histories about Mr. Nobody who did nothing. Now, do they? In fact, some histories are uh, on the shelf because they're exactly that. They're the story of everyday life, and nobody really cares What we want to know who was the general that led those forces. That song uh, that we just sang, Hold the Fort. And uh, I always think of 
all of the stories and many of them made into movies when at the last minute the cavalry comes over the hill and, and all of that. And we want to put ourselves in, we want to be that captain that's leading the cavalry. We want to be the guy that just saves the day. And I want to challenge you, the fellow that shows up to save the day, most of the time, what is their statement? Well, I was just doing my job. Isn't that what it is? You see, have you ever met anyone who aspired to greatness? They spent most of their life thinking about being great and the rest of it doing nothing. But those people that actually have accomplished something in their lives did not do so because on one certain day, everything was lined up. They had all their little duckies in a row. Their homework was done for a change Everything just fell in and a good measure of luck poured in on top. And all of a sudden, they were able to be the hero. How often does that happen? Let me tell you, it never happens. Only in Hollywood. And then it doesn't happen for long, my friend, because the next scene is coming. The people who really accomplish something, the heroes of our history were men who lived and women who lived day by day. And when it came time to do something great for one true greatness was needed, they were doing on that day the very same things they had done a thousand days before but nobody cared about or nobody noticed. You study American history, I'll tell you, it's an incredible study. Some of the things that have happened. How this country was born. A little band of ragtag soldiers led by a man who knew almost nothing about military leadership. His name was George Washington. You read the history. Let me tell you why God used George Washington. Because he was a man that was doing right things when nobody was noticing. I think I've told the story here before. There was a group of militiamen trying to move the army under the directions of the general. And there was a tree across the road. And there was a corporal with his detachment of men and he was standing there cheering them on. Move, come on, put your back to it. And all of a sudden, a man came along riding on a large horse. And he said, Corporal, why don't you help your men? And he said, that's below my dignity. I, I'm a corporal, I'm an officer. And so the man got off the horse and got down in the ditch with the privates and put his weight and his physical strength to that trunk and it seemed like he was almost more than human because with his effort, all of a sudden it gave way. They pushed it out of the road and he got back on the horse and he said, Corporal, 
Next time you run into a situation like this, remember that I am your general. It was George Washington. And he rode off. True story. How would you like to be the corporal right now? But let me ask you a question. How would you have liked to have been one of those privates that the general got down in the ditch and helped you get your job done? I'd settle for that. How about you? Don't you think that would encourage you to do more of the work that needed to be done knowing that my general is not too good to get down here beside me? I mean, that was just the kind of man he was. In fact, a, a fellow named McCullough wrote a book called 1776. If you have a chance to read, it is great historical reading. But he pins in his book, and I believe rightly so, humanly speaking, our revolution was won by the physical endurance and the physical strength of one man, George Washington. That is the, the theme of his book, and he proves that point rather well. But let me tell you another story about George Washington this morning. It was a dark, rainy night in the woodlands of just what we would now call upstate New York, up around Terrytown, and in that area. Back then, it was forced, nearly frontier. There was a man riding a horse down the wilderness road in the rain and in the storm. And he saw a little light ahead and decided to see if he could find lodging for the night. Make a long story short, he was let in and began to talk to the to the owners of that house and he found out that they were on the side of freedom. They were they were for the cause of the revolution. And they uh, took care of his horse and, and gave him a place to sleep for the night. And, and uh, he uh, uh, was asked by the family to join them in their devotions, in their time of Bible reading and prayer, and he did. The wife of the house who wrote the story apparently said, later we went up and we heard the man getting on his knees and we could hear his prayers. He was praying that the God of heaven would give him strength and would give victory to the cause of the revolution and would give them wisdom to know what to do and how to act. The next morning he tried to pay them for their lodging and of course they would not accept anything. And he said, well, you should at least know whom you gave lodging to. And he gave him a, a, a little medal or something that to remember him by. He said, my name is George Washington. That's why God used George Washington. Was he was a man who sought God on a daily basis. And, and I challenge you. We live in a day where the pressures of life are great, are they not? Economic, social. I mean, it used to be that this country was known as a Christian nation. That to be a Christian and, 
and to tell people that you believed in the God of heaven and hold up this old book and say, I believe every word in it. That made you part of the in crowd. But now to make that statement. Could you imagine a college professor at a secular university standing up and say, I believe every word in this book? That'd be the end of his job, tenure or not. Somebody says, I wonder why our schools have gotten so bad. Well, you kick God out. Who's moving in, my friend? You remove. You say, I don't want the Ten Commandments to influence people. Let me ask you, what is going to influence people? I wish the Ten Commandments would influence a few more people. How about you? Uh, How about thou shalt not steal? That'd be a nice one. Maybe we could pin that over the door of the IRS. Oops, I'm sorry. But the simple truth of the matter is that great men do not become great just because circumstances pile things upon them. Let me tell you, there has been a day-by-day living in the life of that man before circumstances had a chance to promote them to greatness. You want to study an interesting history. Study the life of General Douglas MacArthur. Seventy years old. Retired. Actually, for the fourth time, I believe. The phone rings in the middle of the night. General MacArthur, we need you. The North Koreans have crossed the 38th parallel. Let me tell you something. It wasn't because circumstances said he was the lucky man given the job. It was because he was the only living man who knew enough to accomplish what needed to be accomplished. It was a sad day when the president of this country tied his hands and didn't allow him to finish what should have been done. Let me tell you something. History is about great men and great deeds. But if you could study those great men, you would find out there was untold days of great living when nobody was noticing. That's why the topic of the message this morning is the word daily. Daily. There's a lot of things in the Bible that says that ought to be done on a daily basis. And and if you would like to, as I hope and my prayer is, someday to end up before the throne of God and hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, Let me tell you something. You're going to have to get to work on this thing called daily. Because when we fail in the daily efforts, the things that ought to be done every day, we are planning to fail and not to be available at the time of crisis. Because 
if we're not daily serving our God, we won't be ready. I can't remember how many preachers have said over the years, well, Brother Pete, you do have a plan to get your family out of there if it happens. Talking about New York City. And let me tell you something, on 9-11, it did happen. My only regret was I wasn't in the city. I was at a preacher's meeting. But I was back here the next day because this is where I belong. Amen? Don't get a plan of escape. Get a plan to serve God today and He'll have you where He wants you when He needs you. Amen? Now, Matthew chapter 6 is the Sermon on the Mount. And since we do not have uh, about a hundred and some odd lessons that it took us to get through the Sermon on the Mount Thursday night, we're just going to look at one verse, verse 11, part of what we call the Lord's Prayer, really not the Lord's Prayer. It was the Lord's direction to pray. And in verse 11, this one verse says, Give us this day... Our daily bread. Now, as Jesus was trying to teach you and I even to this day, how we ought to pray, verse 9, after this manner, therefore pray ye, it is not something that is just to be repeated. After this manner means after the pattern. This is the pattern of our prayers. This is what our prayer ought to consist of. And one of the things that we ought to be praying for, it says, give us this day our daily bread. Now, if you only pray on Sundays when you come to church, uh, you cannot keep that commandment. Now, can you? You can't pray that way. Because he didn't say, give us this week, give us this month. He said, give us this day. You know what that means? It means that God wants you to pray on a daily basis. You say, well, what about planning? I mean, surely you know uh, that even if we talk about menus, that, uh, that you do much better when you plan your menu out. Well, yeah, I, I know a little bit about planning uh, those things when you've got to feed, uh, well, let's see, now we're down to nine kids at home. Uh, when you've got to feed a crew like that, let me tell you something. Uh, you just don't go down to the corner market and buy that much food on a day. I mean, I go to the wholesale place and even the people that work there. Do you work here? How did you get all that stuff on that cart? But what it is talking about here is uh, probably best summed up by the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not what? And we just got through Christmas. What was Christmas mostly about? Little kids in the store. I want to, want to, want to, want to, want to, want to, want to. Oh, man. You don't get this, Mama, I'll cry. My wife grabs a hold of my arm and takes me to another aisle. And that's a good thing. Kids are never meant to be in charge, my friend. 
But could we talk about the battle of our wants for a few moments? How many of you go through a day without thinking about something you want or need? Do we have anybody like that here today? I don't think so. I mean, I'm glad that I live in New York City. Unlike many of our missionaries that we support. And if I'm sitting in my office and my brain ain't working and the computer's messing up and all that kind of stuff, I can say, I think I'll go get a cup of coffee. You just walk down the street and they got this, it's not necessarily a new thing, but you can go in and at Starbucks, I'm not doing a Starbucks ad, honest. Uh, but you can get almost any flavor of coffee you want made up in one cup. Boy, I like that thing. And I just do. It's, I get to pick my own flavor at the time I want it, and it's always just strong enough to slap the silliness out of you. Uh, I mean, I just enjoy being able to do that. But you know what? I'd probably do a whole lot better by forgetting a cup of coffee and getting down on my knees and stop saying, I want this and I want that. I want to trust in God for what he's given me to serve him today. Would you agree with that? You figure, I, I figure if I preach at me, I'm going to get a few others along with it. You see, the devil is there to distract us in our desire to serve God. And one of the greatest distractions that is out there is this alluring thing that somehow you can get something more out there than you can get in here. Well, the, the Lord knows I got to pay my bills. Well, I think that's non-topical. He says that if you don't take care of your own family, if you don't pay your bills, you're worse than an infidel. You're worse than the person that says God is dead or I don't believe in God at all. Because you're denying him with everything you're doing in your life. Now, let me tell you something. Does God believe in taking care of his children? Hello? I mean, that's what this whole book is about, is it not? That's what Calvary's cross is about, is it not? The greatest need that we have is taking care of our sin. And it's something that we couldn't attain no matter what we did, no matter how much we could give, no matter what we could accomplish. Now, if God spent that much effort to give us salvation, Do you think he's interested in the rest of our lives? Let me tell you, he is. I don't want to be rude this morning, but could I challenge you that not one of us in this room are smart enough to really know what we ought to want or need in our life? That we ought to surrender that to God? And that's what this part of the Lord's Prayer is talking about and give us this day 
Our daily bread is God. Let me be satisfied with what you have given me. Lord, let me be satisfied with being obedient to your word in the ways that I can be obedient in your word today. You see, this idea of aspiring to greatness is often an excuse, a mental exercise to detain us from doing the very things that God wants us to do that will bring us to true greatness. Now, I know this is Sunday morning and we're supposed to just feel good about things. But let me tell you something. That feel-good stuff doesn't work very good on Monday morning now, does it? But this will help you Monday morning when you go to work. You see, we're in a battle. And we've got to fight the battle of our wants. If you had everything you thought you needed, Would you be able to get anything accomplished? Or would you have to spend your whole life taking care of all the things you just got? Let me tell you, if you'll take what God gives you, you'll always have everything you need to serve Him. That's the way God works, amen? Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I'll tell you what, I've been to a lot of preachers' meetings, and I'm looking forward so much to going uh, to the one this week in Oklahoma City. But I, I hate to put it this way, but I don't see a lot of skinny preachers out there. Somebody said, I think it was Brother Clayton told me first. And if you know Brother Clayton, you'll know the import of this statement. He says, you know how to tell whether a preacher's on the level or not? He said, if the bubble's in the middle, amen? <laughs> Let me tell you, God does a lot better job of taking care of us than we give him credit for. And if we could battle this battle of our wants and our desires and turn this thing over to the Lord and actually and truly and honestly pray, give us this day our daily bread and be satisfied with what God gives us rather than asking God for more. I think our life would change, do you not? Let's look at another verse. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And as Jesus is teaching here in this great chapter, I wish we had time to go through and build up and, and, and deal with each passage, but 
I, I just want us to skim over the top here and, and look at this. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, it says, And he, Jesus, said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let's read that verse again. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. I think Joel Osteen had a problem with that. And take up his cross. What's that next word? Could you read that out loud with me? Daily and follow me. Do you know what it means to take up a cross? Oh, yes, I wear one around my neck every day. No. I've often had people come and say, why do you have all them stars of David around the building? Well, it was built as a synagogue, that's why. Said, so you, you ought to get them out of there. And why? Jesus was a Jew. The Bible's a Jewish book. And by the way, the small, the small panels are 1800 bucks a piece just to get them repaired. So you want to ante up the bucks? We'll change the glass. Otherwise, it's probably going to be there for a while. Amen? How many of you know what the Roman legions did when they were took over the land of Palestine, the land of Israel? Does anybody know? There's a major highway that runs right down through the center of the land of Israel. Starts in Damascus, goes right through Galilee, right through Samaria, uh, around and up and down over the mountains and all of those things. The most of the Jewish people refused to use that highway when it came to the land of Samaria because they wanted to go around it. The Romans didn't care. They took a cross, both sides of the road. I don't know what the footage was between the crosses, but I don't think there was a whole lot, and every one of them was a Jewish man. And by the way, they didn't take them down at the end of the day. They left them there until the crosses rotted and fell down of their own accord. When Jesus said, take up your cross, there wasn't a Jewish man that did not think about that hill outside Jerusalem where Jesus would die, that the Romans regularly hung up men to die. It was the sign of the greatest, one of the greatest oppressions and tyrannies known to mankind. Jesus here said, if you're going to come and you're going to follow me, he said, the first thing you got to do is deny yourself. Now, if you want to know why I'm somewhat critical of the purpose-driven life and those kinds of things, this is why. Is because 
The purpose-driven life is about realizing yourself. The Bible is about denying yourself. We like to hear, yes. When's the last time you actually told yourself no? Now, I know how you tell yourself no. I know how I tell myself no. There are four cookies on the, on the shelf. And if you only eat one at a time, you've told yourself no, Right? No, it doesn't work that way. That's just pretending to tell ourselves no. I've met people who said, whose testimony was, you know, I I had a prosperous job and, and was really moving up until I got saved and God called me to preach and I gave it all up to serve him. What can you give up for God? Hello? He gave up heaven's glory to be born in Bethlehem's manger. Let me tell you something. There's nothing. Nothing in my life that I could give that would be worth anything to God. You know what he asked for? He asked for my sin and my failures. You know what the word repentance means? The word repentance in the Bible definition is when I stop trying to pay for my sins and I bring them to God. Is there anybody that hates sin worse than God does? Is there anything more offensive to God than our disobedience to His will? Then why does God want our sin? Very simply, He is the only one in the universe that can deal with it. It's the battle of our will. What are you going to do with your life? I'll tell you what, I'm so glad that when I was a young teenager, when I was a young kid, I'll I'll echo the words of another pastor. He said, when I was little, he said, I had a drug problem. He said, I wasn't even walking yet. My parents drugged me to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night. Even on Wednesday night, we meet on Thursday. He said, every time the doors were open, my parents drug me to church. And it only got worse as I got older. He said, but it got to the point to where I was addicted. And when I got a little older, I couldn't stop going. I had to make a choice. What I was going to do with my life. And I remember, okay, Lord, I'll I'll be a preacher if you want me to be. 
Now, most of you have no way of knowing what I was like when I was 16 years old. Some people said, oh, Peter, he's just like you. No, he's like me now, but he wasn't like me when I was 16. I couldn't even play my saxophone in front of people without shaking so much I would almost drop the horn. My first sermon, believe it or not, was less than five minutes and it had ten points. It didn't take long. I said, boy, I wish you were a little more like that now. No. Don't worry, we're not we're almost halfway through, all right? But let me tell you, when you surrender your will to God and His will becomes your will, God will do more with your life than you could ever imagine. But it's not only in the big things. It's daily. It's daily. It's fighting the battle Daily. The battle of my wants. The battle of my will. Let's talk about another one. Let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 46. People have often asked, well, pastor, what does it mean to be a member of Open Door Bible Baptist Church? Well, that's real simple. The biblical requirements for membership in the church is scriptural salvation... They that gladly received his word, scriptural baptism, were baptized, a desire to serve God right here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. It says, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Verse 43, And, uh, well, let's skip down to verse 46. And they, continuing, what? Daily, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. You know, there's a battle on today for your worship. There's people that have been on the radio for years and years and years and years and say, if you want to worship God, just worship with us through the radio airwaves. I can't remember one preacher said, if you want to be healed, just touch the television set. Well, don't wet your fingers first if it's one of them old things because you get a good shock, right? Uh, Let me tell you something. Worship is supposed to be a daily thing, not just when the rock band's playing on the platform. You say, well, how can I worship God daily? It says here in Acts chapter 2 that they did. They continue daily in all of these things. You see, what you get here on Sunday, if it's not good enough for Monday, it probably wasn't as good as you thought it was on Sunday. Amen? Worship... True worship is not jumping up and down for Jesus. True worship is living my life in agreement to this book, 
for one reason and one reason alone. Because God said so. You see, that's the battle of the wants, the battle of the wills, and the battle of worship. It's worshiping God on a daily basis. Do you know you can worship God when you go to work? Well, pastor, I'm a bartender. Get another job. Sorry. Doesn't apply to you. But God wants me to be a good employee because if I'm a good employee because God wants me to, who gets the credit for my good work? Well, then God does down, doesn't he? I want to be diligent in what I do. I want to do something that matters for eternity. And by the way, you don't have to be a preacher to do that. I want to be a servant for God on a daily basis. Now, let me tell you something. That is a battle. How often does it need to be fought? Every day. But preacher, don't you have it down? I mean, you're a pastor. You, all your work's about the Bible. Let me tell you something. As a human being, I've got to fight with it as well. Because I want my worship, I want my work to worship God. Let's look one more, and then we'll try to tie this thing together. Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Do you realize that when we make a daily choice, that it just might not be so important to obey the Bible in this matter specifically, that we are allowing the deceitfulness of sin to harden our hearts. But Pastor, why, why do you name names? Why do you name sins? Because we've got an awful lot going on there saying it's okay to do anything. In fact, I just read an article the other day, a church in um, somewhere in Michigan, they just opened a tattoo parlor in the church. It's just next to the pastor's, uh, two doors down from the pastor's study, I believe. I don't even want to ask what that pastor's studying, okay? You say, well, is tattooing evil? Uh, the, the Bible says that we just ought to stay away from that stuff, that we ought not make marks in our skin that draw attention to ourselves, that we ought to live a life 
that draws attention to the Savior. There's a difference. You see, I am not going to help you get closer to God by occasioning your movement closer to the world. Do you understand that statement? That's why we don't use worldly music around here. Because I don't want to occasion your movement closer to the world. I want to challenge you to move closer to God. And I've had people counter that over the years invariably. Now, you can become so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Did you know that? And being a little bit of a smart aleck that I am, I've always said back, do you know that you could become so worldly minded that you're no heavenly good? And you're going to spend a whole lot more time in heaven than you are going to be down here? So if I got one place I'm going to be worthless, I'd rather I'd much rather my life be worthless to the world and mean something for God. I've often given this example. If you're walking along the riverside here and you fall in to uh the Hell's Gate up here, uh what becomes the East River, the last thing you want is me jumping in to save you. You know why? Because there'll be two of us drowning in the river. You know what the best thing I can do if I see that you're struggling in the water? Is get something that floats, one of them little rings with a long rope, and throw it to you. If I don't have one of those, I'll dial 911 and try to get somebody that knows how to swim to help you. Amen? But the last thing that's going to happen that's going to be helpful is for me to step into the water with you. And yet that is the philosophy of mainstream Christianity today. It's called the neo-evangelicalism. Started in the 1950s. We need to win the world by meeting the world where they are. No. I need to get my feet glued to the rock, which is Jesus, and throw out the lifeline of the gospel and pull them in. Because friendship with the world is enmity or strife with God. You're not going to learn how to tell other people about Jesus by attending a marketing class. Though let me tell you, if you apply the principles of marketing, you can get more people in the doors of your church. I hope and pray that everyone that is here today is here today because they want to hear something out of this book. And you know what? That's not marketing. That's called the foolishness of preaching. And somebody may say, you're a prime example. Well, amen. I have no problems with that. You see, the battles are real, my friend. You got to choose which ones you're going to fight. If you want to aspire to something more 
than the mediocrity and the nothingness that this world offers. You're going to have to fight the battle of your wants. Give us this day our daily bread. The battle of your will to deny yourself and take up that cross daily and follow Jesus. The battle of your worship. True worship is always obedience in response to God's word. You know what? You want a good way to start your daily worship at home? How about a daily Bible reading schedule? Amen? They're free. We give them out. You know why? Because the Bible tells us if you were here for Sunday school, what did God tell Joshua? Meditate in God's Word day and night. Well, you can't meditate on something you don't have memorized. See, that's the difference between biblical meditation and false meditation. False meditation is the emptying of yourself. Bible meditation is the filling of yourself. The battle of your worship. You know what? You'll have opportunities to worship God. If somebody is telling a dirty joke at work, why don't you ask God to help you worship Him and turn around and walk the other way? Well, that's offensive. Well, I'd rather offend a human being than offend a holy God. And don't be sanctimonious. That's more offensive to God than anything else. Do I need to explain sanctimonious this morning? Self-righteous? Looking down at other people? Listen, that's not worship. Worship is obeying God because He said so. That's, that's all it is. The battle for our work, our effort... It says, exhort one another daily. Does that mean that our job is to walk around telling other people, hey, you didn't show up for church last night. You didn't do this and you didn't. That's exhortation now, isn't it? But could I give you an easier way to exhort one another? Is you're exhorting one another by being here today. Did you know that? How many of you came in, our regular members, came, regular attenders, members came in and looked around and said, is so-and-so here this morning? How many of you did that? Yeah. Everybody did. Do you know why? Because it's encouraging to see other people that you know. And you that are not members, regular attenders, the only way to join in on that exhortation is become a member and be a part of what's going on here. It works. It's, I've had people, uh, let me put it this way and we'll be done. I've had people say, well, pastor, I knew what you were going to say. Oh, did you? You know why you knew what I was going to say? Because you already knew what the Bible said on this subject. Why do you have to be such a hard nose? Let me tell you, it's not my nose that's hard. 
You see, I just believe that when God said something, he meant what he said. By his grace, I want to worship him each day being obedient where I can be obedient. You know what? I can't go out and change the world. But I can change what I'm going to do tomorrow. I don't have to yell back when someone puts invective toward me. Do I want to? Well, I'm a human being. My flesh rears up just like yours does. Uh, but let's go back to that battle of my will and my battle of my wants. And let's make that an opportunity of worship. And when I make my life an opportunity of worship, guess what? I'm getting the work done that God wants me to. And my life can be the greatest exhortation to someone else just to believe the Bible. It's daily. Is it your daily bread you're going to pray for? Or your long-term needs? Is it the death of self? Or is it provision for the flesh? Is it the daily worship? Or what you do only on Sunday or when you come to church? Is it a daily work? Or is it something I'll do someday when I have enough time? I challenge you. Let's make this year a year of today. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer. And Lord, I'm asking you to work in my life to make it more in line with the sermon that was preached this morning. Lord, that we could struggle together, which is the truest meaning of the last passage that we looked at. That not a one of us would stand still long enough to allow our hearts to be hardened by sin. Lord, We pray if there's anyone in our midst that does not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they'd be willing to open up your word and see what it says. Allow someone to show them what the Bible says. Lord, each one of us are going to battle all of these things, even as we go home from this service this afternoon. Lord, open our eyes to the battles and let us fight the real battles on a day-by-day basis. When no one's looking, when the quote-unquote crisis is not at its peak. So that when you want to use us, we'll be ready. We pray this for ourselves and for our church. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation. Three hundred and...